Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. This morning, over the last several weeks, one thing that we have been, I I hope we, when I say that, I'm hoping all of us have been challenged by, as we've been reading through the book of Philippians, as to what it really looks like to live out this life of faith. What does it look like to live out this life of, of Christianity? And what we saw last week is that we know that after salvation, to, to live it out is a process. Sometimes it's a very difficult process. Sometimes it's a, a painful process. And as we've noticed, just in the book of Philippians, we've really focused on two examples that lived out this Christ-like life, if you would. Obviously, the first one was Jesus. We know that Paul references Jesus all throughout the scripture, even challenges us to have the mind of Christ, to be like Christ. But then as we also look, we notice that Paul uses himself as an example. And so here's two extremes. Here Here are Paul and Jesus that have kind of set the bar. I don't know about you, That's pretty intimidating. And when we look at that, it's like, man, I'll never live up to Paul and sure never gonna live up to Jesus. Because you remember as a kid, you had those people that you looked up to, whether they be athletes, whether they were musicians, whether they were businessmen or women, but you you always watched them and you tried to mimic everything that they did. If you're anything like me, what I found myself doing was trying to mimic these NBA basketball players. (laughs) Look, (laughs) didn't go too well. So it was very easy for me to get discouraged because I could never live up to what I was trying to accomplish. And if we're not careful when we look at Paul, when we look at Jesus, the bar is set pretty high. And if you're anything like me, If that's our only bar, if that's the only thing that we're striving to do, we're gonna be discouraged because we can't can't do it. We we can't live up to the expectation of who Jesus was. And what we're gonna see today is, is turned into one of my favorite sections of scripture because what you're gonna see today is that Paul is gonna teach us through about 12 verses to help us all leave here with a mindset today that God has a purpose for each and every single person that is in this room. And what I want you to think about is he's got a purpose and it doesn't, your purpose is not dictated by your past. Your purpose is not dictated by how you were raised. And your purpose is not gauged off how big or how small the thing that God is calling you to do, the thing that God has before you to do. There's nothing too big or too small. And what we're gonna see in the two characters that we look at today is 
is I hope you leave here. My prayer has been that we will all realize that it doesn't matter where I've been, it doesn't matter where you've been, that God has a purpose for all of us. And he's gonna use ordinary people to fulfill his work, to accomplish his work. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look Philippians chapter two. And I love this because it's broke down pretty simple today. We're gonna look at six verses that are about a man named Timothy. And then we're gonna look at six verses about a man named Epaphroditus. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to read with me and we're just gonna start in verses 19 through 24. Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 24. Paul writes, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of a kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of, this, of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things are gonna go with me. Verse 24, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also be willing to be with you shortly. Before we unpack what Paul talks about in reference to Timothy, there's some things that, that I think will help us all relate to Timothy when we kind of unpeel or lay back some of the layers of, of who Timothy was and where Timothy comes from. You see, what we know up front is that Timothy did not come from the perfect family. His mom was Jew, his, mom was, or his dad was Gentile. And so we see that already there's a conflict of interest. So he didn't grow up in the perfect home. What we also learn through reading about Timothy just in other places is that, that Timothy was not necessarily influenced by his father. His father was not really in the picture a lot. We don't know why. We don't know if his father left. We don't know if his father died. We don't know if his father was just a, a bum. We don't know a lot about it, but we do know that there was not a lot of influence in Timothy's life by the way of his father. And another interesting thing, in 2 Timothy chapter one, we read when Paul is talking, or writing a letter to Timothy, we know that Timothy was raised ultimately by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And so we see that already, here's Timothy. Now keep in mind, there's a, there's a letter, there's a book of the Bible, two of them that are about Timothy. But what's encouraging is that we see that he's mentioned so many times in the New Testament scripture. We know that he was such a, a, an instrument in the hand of God, but however, we notice that he didn't grow up in a stereotypical perfect home. Some of your ears has already, have already perked up just by some of the facts that we've just very briefly told you about Timothy. You know, maybe you were raised by a mother or grandmother. Maybe your dad was not, maybe you may, you may not even know your dad. Your dad may have not had a big impact in your life. Maybe your home wasn't the perfect family. Maybe your home wasn't the perfect environment to grow up in. And so I want you to understand that no matter how you were raised, no matter what environment that you grew up in, that, that God still wants to use you. God still has a purpose for you. And if you think back in your life and if you didn't grow up in that perfect home, I hope that you have people in your life that, that God is bringing to the forefront of your mind that poured into you, that, that loved you, that brought you up maybe in the way that you thought that, that, that the Lord was trying to raise you himself. But what I want you to think about is to be thankful for those people. 
You know, I think for myself, I think I'm thankful for a mom who church was not an option. You were going to church every Wednesday, every Sunday, our piece of junk, black mercury tempo, topaz, whatever it was, the cloud of smoke would roll into the church parking lot every Wednesday night. Our bus route would begin every Wednesday night because we went and we picked up all my friends. Now keep in mind, this little car only sat five people, but there was like 12 stacked in it. But here's the beauty of it. What, laugh, what is laughable about being picked up in this car, I still remember the night that myself and all of those friends came to know the Lord. That's because of a faithful mom who believed in having her children in the house of the Lord. So some of you can go back to those people in your life that, that you can say, thank you for having me there. Thank you for pouring me into the house of God so that I could be poured into. And so we see that that was kind of Timothy's life. That he had these two ladies that were raising him up in a, and for lack of better words, in a Jewish home. They were teaching in the law. But what we also find out is that for whatever reason, they provided an environment to where Timothy was able to hear the gospel, preached by Paul, and what we find out is that Lois and Eunice, mother, grandmother, and Timothy all come to faith in Christ together through the preaching of God's word as Paul brought it. And so we see we're thankful that they poured into him. But what we also know is that Timothy he wasn't saved and didn't jump right into ministry. He, didn't, he wasn't saved and then he'd left there, locked arms with Paul doing ministry together. What we know is that Paul left when he was saved was his first missionary journey. But what we find is they didn't really partner up till his second journey back. Now, the reason that we bring attention to that is because this really helps us understand and see the importance of the local church. In Acts chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it, but here's what Paul finds when he returns back on his second missionary journey. He said, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named, you guessed it, Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren. That means he was well spoken of by the church. He was well spoken of by all the other believers who were in Lystra and Iconium, listen to verse three, and then Paul wanted this man to go with him. And so what we take from this is the importance of the local body of believers gathering together. You see, yes, the mom and the grandmother, I'm sure that after their conversion, after they came to know Christ, I'm sure they still poured into him, but the most important thing we see here is that it's said that the brethren spoke highly of Timothy. It meant that they knew Timothy. They were watching Timothy grow. They were watching him being shaped and molded to have this Christ-like mind. But guess where that took place? In the local church. It took place in the church at Philippi. And so moms and dads, what I want you to hear today, what I want you to hear from the bottom of my heart is that we as a church, we as a body of believers, we are here to help you. We're not here to raise your children, but we are here to help you raise your children. We're here to come alongside you. We're here to come alongside your kids. Moms and dads, we are a resource. 
And one thing that I can tell you, one thing I can promise you is if they step foot on this campus, whether it be Wednesday or Sunday, they're gonna have a good time. But here's the most important thing. They are going to sit under biblical teaching. Church is not about coming to the the flashiest, the one that plays all the best games. I want my children to be in the house of God where this is the number one priority. Because when all else fades, when all the fun's over, this never changes. And some some people will say, well, but my kid just didn't have any fun. I just, uh, let's go to the next point. But what I want you to understand is that what we see in Timothy is that he was involved in his church and he was growing. Now, moms and dads, the reason that I really wanna drive this point home is I I stumbled across some statistics this week of some research that was done, I think it was in 2015. And it it was a chart that I saw that was the, they call it the 414 window. Now look, this is not a conversation that we're gonna talk about the the age of accountability, all of that stuff, okay? This is just statistics that I wanna share with you as the importance of having your children in the house of God, making the house of God a priority. Did you know that when people come to saving faith in Christ, that 63% of those decisions, 63% of people who are born again believers, listen to me, happen between the age of four and 14. 63% of Christians come to know Christ between the ages of four and 14. 63%. Now you say, well, what, does, what happens after 15? What happens after the age of 15? From the ages of 15 to 29, that statistic drops to 34% of people come to faith in Christ between the ages of 15 and 29. And then from the age of 30 plus, 2% come to know Christ. Moms and dads, it's imperative that you have your children in the house of God. It should not be an option. It should not be if we can fit it in on a Wednesday. It should not be if we can eh, can fit it in on a Sunday. It should trump everything that we do. Everything. And I understand, look, my son has journeyed into this world of football. I get it. There's practices. You say, well, if they can't be there when it starts, we don't need to come. If they're here for 20 minutes, bring them to the house of God. If they're here for 20 minutes, bring them to the house of God. Who cares if they stink? Mine stinks, but they're gonna be here. They wanna be here. And so moms and dads, bring your children to the house of the Lord. And then what we see is that when Paul comes back on this second journey, he begins to pour in, pour himself out to this young man named Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter one, we read there that that Paul references Timothy as his son. He references him as a son. That's the relationship that these two had. And then what we read in Philippians chapter two is that basically Paul brags about his son, if you would. 
He talks about everything that he's proud of what his son is doing. He said that we have a kindred spirit. And what he meant is, is Timothy has the same heart that I have for the church. Timothy loves the church as much as I do. And then he goes on to say that he doesn't seek his own interest. He's proved himself to the church. He's, he's proven his worth. And Timothy has served you. And he's talking to the church. So we see that he's bragging, he's saying, church, he said, Timothy, my son, he has served you, he has served me, but ultimately has served the Lord. And I am so proud of the young man that he's become that I'm getting ready to send him in my place. I'm getting ready to allow him to fill my shoes. You know, that's, that's a pretty big compliment because here's Timothy, a young man who, who grew up, for lack of better words, in a messed up home, who father wasn't a big influence in his life. He was raised by his mother and his grandmother, but yet he's about to fill the shoes of the apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Let that be an encouragement to all of us that it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter where you've been, but if we will submit, number one, come to know the Lord. If God draws you to himself, surrender, submit, cry out and ask the Lord to save you. But then spend the rest of your days asking the Lord to use you. Ask the Lord to use you because that's exactly what he's done with Timothy. But what's interesting is, is what we see is that really what Paul is celebrating through the description of Timothy is Paul's reproduced himself in his son. Timothy's become this mini me. Now, I don't know about you, but dads, I wanna ask you a question. Are you proud of what you're reproducing in your children? It's a scary thought. Now y'all know me, I share examples probably more so than y'all wanna hear. But I can honestly say there's a lot of areas of my life that I don't want reproduced in my children that I don't want reproduced in my boys. Example that happened yesterday. And my wife, she's gonna probably shout amen in just a minute, that's okay. But we've been moving some furniture around in our house, doing some things, and, and if you know anything about me, when I do something, I wanna get it done fast. Like it, I, once we start, it's almost like, y'all seen the movie The Christmas Story? When the dad wants to change the tire, he's just excited because he gets to do the stopwatch, see how long, that's me. Everything I wanna do, I wanna start and I wanna finish. That way I don't have anything else to do. You're right. So Friday, me and my boys were moving some stuff around and it ended up pretty much in a screaming match because they weren't working as fast as I wanted them to work. So yesterday, I was telling Cooper, I said, hey buddy, we gotta move some light fixtures around. We were just moving stuff from one room to the other. I don't do electricity. Got shocked twice, but praise God, it was okay. 
Nothing bothered, I'm not, I'm fine, I promise. But what broke me down was we're on the way back to the house to, to change some light fixtures and Cooper, the man of few words, he says, Daddy, I'm gonna help you, but can you promise me you won't get mad? So then, you know, as a pastor father, I asked my 13-year-old last night, hey, buddy, how did I do today? <laughs> he said, you did better. You did better. He really did. He said, you did better. I said, praise God. <laughs> but we, we laugh about it. But I can honestly say there's things in my life that I don't want my boys reproducing. There's things in my life that I don't want my boys to mimic. Moms and dads, what in your life do you not want your children mimicking? What are you want, not wanting them to reproduce? Ask the Lord to help you. Submit to that, and I promise you, he will shape, he will mold. It'll be a battle. It'll be a struggle, because I can promise you, I was dropping screws, I got shocked. So the Lord was testing me. He was trying, but it, I did good, <laughs> really good. But what we're gonna do now is we're gonna transition from a man named Timothy to somebody I think that we can all relate to. And, and, and this character that we're gonna look at right now is, is turned into, in the last few days, becoming one of my favorite characters. I hate to say characters, individuals. That makes it sound like we're watching a movie. But it's a man named Epaphroditus. And I wanna read about him in verses 25 through 30, and then we're gonna talk about him just a little bit but in verse 25 through 30, Paul goes on. He's finished talking about Timothy. Then he says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Verse 26, because he was longing for you, all was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Verse 29, receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in a high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete was deficient in your services to me. Now, where I think the majority of us can connect and relate, to our knowledge, Epaphroditus was a guy who, who never preached a sermon. He, to our knowledge, he never taught a Sunday school class. He didn't start a church. He didn't perform any miracles. But what we're gonna see about this man named Epaphroditus is that he was simply an ordinary guy serving his local church. That was what Epaphroditus did. That's what he is known for. And so when we define him, when we describe him, there was Nothing extraordinary, he was basically just ordinary. 
He wasn't outstanding, he was just faithful. And you say, well, well, what did he do? What was he known for? Philippians chapter two, verse 18, or chapter four, I'm sorry. Chapter four, verse 18, we, Paul tells us what Epaphroditus did. He says, but I have, this is Paul talking. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. He's having a conversation with them for lack of better words. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied and having received from Epaphroditus what you as a church have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and well-pleasing to God. So to put in our terms, what Epaphroditus has done is he's delivered a care package to a man in prison named Paul. He has sent this gift to Paul. He has delivered this gift to Paul so that Paul would be encouraged, so that Paul would know that he's not been left alone, that Paul would know that he's not in this thing alone. And what we find is that the church at Philippi had taken up an offering. They had given a lot of finances. Some scholars believe that there would have been gifts in this. There would have been potentially food. There would have been, there would have been letters written just to encourage Paul, just to strengthen him while he's in prison, while he's serving the Lord faithfully in prison. But keep in mind, this care package that was all bundled up, that was all put together, it had to be delivered. They didn't have FedEx. They didn't have UPS. And so they needed a volunteer that would say, hey, I'll deliver that. I'll deliver this package to Paul. And Epaphroditus was, was that guy. Now, obviously, we know that he, he ends up journeying there to deliver this package to Paul. But what we can learn from that is he was very much like Timothy in that he was well spoken of because the church had to trust him because you gotta keep in mind what he's delivering. He's delivering the sacrificial giving that they've put forth. They've given money, they've given, they've given everything that they have, they've given to encourage Paul and they've entrusted Epaphroditus to get it there. They've entrusted him to deliver this. Now keep in mind, this is not just a little hop, skip, and a jump. This is not him you know, getting in the car and driving five miles down the road. To put it in context, to know what this journey was about, when he left, he traveled 367 miles to the Adriatic Sea to where he had to cross it and when he got to the other side, you would think, okay, well, good, he's finally at the end. Wrong, he's only halfway through the trip. He's got 360 miles left to go. And so scholars believe that he traveled somewhat of 720 miles, and essentially it took him 57 days to get there, one way. So you do the math. So if he blocked out a season of his life, here's four months of his life to get there and back that he devoted to being obedient to what God had called him to do. Four months of his life, he said, you know what? I'm willing to leave behind everything and I'm just going to, I'm gonna do what I know God has placed in my heart to do no matter what it costs me. But what is absolutely eye-opening in that is that he traveled over 700 miles. He spent 57 days one way 
And all across the country, every conference that every pastor's heard, every, every leadership training we hear about, the biggest struggle in churches is to find people to volunteer that will give two hours a month. But here's a man who gave four months of his life to say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna do whatever God has called me to do, no matter how small it is. But here's food for thought. Here's something that'll absolutely blow your mind. As he delivers this package to Paul, Paul gives him something in exchange. Do you know what Paul gives him back in exchange? The book of Philippians. And he said, I need you to take this letter back. So without the obedience of Epaphroditus, guess what? There's the potential that we don't have the book of Philippians. So I would say that there was a little bit of a trustworthiness there that Paul had with this obedient servant who was willing to do whatever it cost, no matter what it took. He wasn't patted on the back. He didn't have a platform. He didn't have a book in the Bible written about him. But yet he said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes for the kingdom work to be accomplished, no matter what it cost me. And as we read just a moment ago, that we know along that journey that Epaphroditus got deathly sick. He got deathly sick and almost died. Now I'm reading this about Epaphroditus and I'm trying to relate to it myself. And I wonder how often do we let obstacles hinder us from serving the Lord? He's traveled 300 and some odd miles and there's a sea in the way. I'm gonna say, eh, I'm gonna go back. That's just too hard to get across. Then not to mention, I'm gonna get deathly sick. Well, if I'm just sick, the Lord must not have wanted me to do it. How quickly are we to tap out when things get hard? How quickly are we just to throw in the towel when things don't go smoothly? But what we see Epaphroditus living out is here's a man who, who was humble, who was faithful, who was not self-absorbed. And from everything that we read, everything he faced, all the obstacles, all the hurdles he had to cross, he didn't grumble or complain. He just did what God had instructed him to do. And he did what was needed in the church. He even faced danger. Because you realize Paul's not, or Epaphroditus is not going on a vacation trip to see Paul. Paul's in prison. He's under Caesar, and look, Caesar at any moment could have changed his mind and executed Paul at any time. But in many cases, whoever had a relationship with the one who was being executed, a lot of times they would receive the same punishment or they could be thrown in prison themselves. So Paul was facing all kind of danger, all kind of obstacles, everything in his way, but guess what Epaphroditus continued to do? He kept being faithful to what God had asked him to do, no matter how big or how small. But you know, what we see here is that he was faithful to his father. You know, I ask the question a lot of times is, we as a people, we as a church, who do we serve? Who do you serve? 
Because what we see so many times in the local church, and I'm not talking about specifically Chestnut Mountain, I'm talking about the local church. There'll be some kind of conflict that arises, which is what's happened in the church at Philippi. Remember we talked last week, those two ladies, they were going at it. But what ends up happening is some conflict happens, somebody gets their feelings hurt, somebody gets upset, and you know what we do, just like grown adults all do, is we pout and say, well, I'm not gonna serve. Who are you serving? Are you serving the individual? Are you serving the one who saved you? Because if God has called you to Chestnut Mountain and you serve this local body, here's a news flash. You're not serving me. You're not serving our staff. You are serving the one who laid down his life for you. So let's get over any kind of disagreements and let's be reminded, I'm gonna serve the one who gave his life for me. I'm gonna stop focusing on anything else other than the fact that God has opened a door for me to serve. Because the reality is, is if we sit like this, we say, well, I'm not gonna serve. Shut up. And we say, I'm not gonna serve. If God's called you to serve in kids, guess who's missing out? It's not the adult you're trying to spite. It's the kid that God has called you to serve. That's the one that's missing out. If God's called you in student ministry, but you get mad at somebody in student ministry and you say, well, I'm not gonna serve in student ministry. I don't like them. I just don't like the way they talk. There's a teenager that God has aligned your heart with that he wants you to serve. If you're in a small group and you get mad at somebody in that small group, I'm not going back. They just made me mad. You're the one that's not gonna be growing now. You're not gonna be growing. And so that's exactly the heart of Epaphroditus. He realized I'm not serving anybody but the Lord. That's it. And Paul loved Epaphroditus for this. Because from what we see, there's no obstacles that are gonna stop him from serving the one who saved him. There's no obstacles that are gonna get in the way. He's gonna be faithful and the Lord's work trumped every circumstance in his life. And Paul loved him for that. Paul loved him for that. Look how he describes him. He calls him brother which we know that, that was he was a brother in Christ, but I believe it was a little bit deeper. It was a, a relational thing that he had with Epaphroditus. Then he calls him a fellow worker. He says, you know, we're partners in ministry together. We're doing this thing together. But then he calls him a fellow soldier. He's saying, hey, that's who I wanna go to war with. Because it doesn't matter how sick, it doesn't matter what obstacles, it's not gonna stop him. And that's who I wanna fight with. But then he also quickly reminds the church. He said, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, he's my fellow soldier, but he says, he's your messenger and he's your minister. Now, why that's important is Paul is saying, church at Philippi, Epaphroditus, he's representing you well. He's representing you well. And because he's representing you well, look what he tells him to do in verse 29 and 30. He says, receive him then in the Lord with 
all joy and hold men like him in a high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ and risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. You know, as I read verses 29 and 30, as a pastor, I became almost very convicted because there's, there's times every week that we don't do what Paul has just challenged the church at Philippi to do. He said, hey, you need to honor for lack of a better word, you need to honor the little man. You need to honor the one that may not have a platform. You need to honor the one that may not get any recognition because what you have to realize is that moms and dads, we're in here right now. Moms and dads, your kids aren't. Well, Deacon is today. She must have been bad this morning. Stop it. Sorry, baby. She goes, stop it. But the reason our children aren't in here is because there's a bunch of people with a heart of Epaphroditus that are loving your children right now, that are pouring the word of God into the hearts of your children from babies to teenagers. And what I was reminded of is that every single week, and I've worked all week, and how in the world do you say Epaphroditus with a plural form? And Brandon Sloan, our very intelligent worship pastor, he said Epaphrodite. So I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'm just gonna say Epaphroditus's. But as we were sitting in the hallway praying this morning with our circle of volunteers, I was reminded that what makes this place tick, obviously is the power of the Holy Spirit. However, it's a bunch of Epaphroditus's who are willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish the work of Christ. Because yes, we have those in small groups. We have those who are in kids from all areas, from all ages. But we also have a, a safety team who volunteers every week. We also have people who are preparing coffee every week. And some of you need another cup. I can tell by the look on your face. You know, there's a ministry downstairs that often gets overlooked called the SOAR ministry. It's where there's a room full of volunteers who are loving on children with special needs. And those special need parents, guess what? Sometimes, that one hour, two hours is the only break they get all week. But are they ever on stage getting applauded? Are they ever getting the pats on the back? And the truth is, is this list could go on and on and on from people who are working in the parking lot, from people who put the cones in the parking lot, from people who clean this campus during the week. All those people are people you may never know about. But here's the beauty. They're walking in what God has called them to do. And what I wanna be a part of is a part of a body of believers who are made up of a bunch of Epaphrodites. 
just to accomplish the work of the gospel. But you know, there's a lot of us that feel unqualified to serve at any capacity because maybe we didn't grow up in the perfect home. Or maybe our upbringing was not the most ideal situation or circumstance. Can I tell you this morning, you can be just like Timothy, that God wants to use you. You know, what's interesting about Timothy is a lot of scholars believe that his past is the very thing that opened the door for him to be used. Now keep in mind, he was raised by a Jewish mom and had a Gentile father in his life. And so he was hearing the best of, of both worlds. He was hearing, not the best, he was hearing both ends of the spectrum. And a lot of scholars believe that, that his past, the way he was raised, is the very thing that God used the most for him to reach people. He could relate to the Gentile or to the Greek and to the Jew alike. He knew where both of them were. And that's the some of us need to remember and be reminded today that it could be your very past. It could be the very way that you were raised could be the very tool that God wants to use you to reach people. He wants to use that past. He wants to use those failures. He wants to use those discouragements. But what we've gotta do is we gotta let it go and say, God, I'm not proud of this, but God, I believe you can use it. So what some would look at that would disqualify Timothy was actually a tool in the hand of the Lord to use. What the enemy is using to discourage you may be the very tool that God wants to use for you to reach people, for you to love people, for you to meet people right where they're at. So maybe this morning, that's what you need to do. You need to forget about that past. And you need to say, God, the enemy uses those whispers, those lies to tell me you can't use me because of whatever it is. Let me tell you this morning, he is a liar and a deceiver. Stop believing the lies. So this morning, ask the Lord to use your past. Ask the Lord to use your story. But maybe you're here today and you just simply need to make yourself available. You say, well, Brian, I, I know God's called me here. I don't know what my role is. Make yourself available and I promise he will lead you. He will show you what that is. And maybe your response this morning, maybe your response this morning is to take one of those connection cards and put your name, put your information on it. And then check something that God would have you to do. Fill out in the comments. Here's what God's laid on my heart. This is where I need to be serving. And you bring it to the altar and lay it down. Lay it down because then we got you. Because don't put it in your Bible because the reality is you fill out and put it in your Bible, you ain't ever gonna turn it in. I'm just telling you, that's how it works. You can feel all super spiritual and moved right now, but as soon as you get back to the car, <laughs> So bring it, lay it here and say, God, I'm just simply making myself available. Here's what I would love even more. Don't be specific. Just write, I'm available. Hey, that's bold. Because then we may stick you in the little kids. I'm just kidding, just kidding. 
but are you willing to make yourself available? Are you willing? I know I've said it for years since I've been here is to put our yes on the table and to say yes before we even know what the direction is. That's bold faith. Say, God, I don't even know what you're asking me to do, but God, here's my yes. So maybe today you need to forget about your past. Maybe today you you need to make yourself available. Or maybe today you need a Paul in your life. You need somebody that can pour into you. You just heard Wednesday night, we're launching into two established classes, two different topics. So moms and dads, I know I challenge you to bring your children, but I guess here's where we're about to stomp on the toe. Don't just drop them off. You need poured into too. You need invested in too. So I invite you, don't ever stop growing in the Lord. Don't ever stop growing in the Lord. So when you bring your kids on Wednesday night, we've got something for you. You can either serve, praise God, or you can have the word of God poured into you. I was so encouraged about three weeks ago, they launched a new women's Bible study. I was actually on vacation at the time and I got a message that said, hey, you're not gonna believe this. There's 42 women here tonight. Women, there's a place for you. Men, just in a couple of weeks, some of you are dreading what I'm about to tell you, but we're about to start back up on Thursday mornings here at 6 a.m. And you know what men we do at 6 a.m.? We open the word of God together. You're out of here by 6.59. You ain't late to work. But we get an opportunity to sit at round tables and iron sharpen iron. And man, what a sweet time it is because when we launched into that, I thought, man, if we have 10 men that'll show up, I'll be so excited. I think we've done three sessions of this now and we've averaged probably over 50 men every single Thursday morning. Hey, you get free coffee and a biscuit. But maybe you need to have people pouring into you. So this morning, how are you gonna respond to a message like this? Because it's really difficult to try to fabricate some response, but I think the simplicity of this response is forget your past, make yourself available, and either find yourself a Paul or be a Paul. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also a review allows us to reach even more people. 
Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.